And welcome to the Top Flight Podcast. Orion Esteban back here for a little, uh, probably going to be releasing this Tuesday morning. Talking about match day two in the Premier League. A lot of goals, a lot, a lot of goals. By the end of match day one, there were 25 goals in the league. Now we're up to 60. So there was a lot of action. Sunday in particular, we had a lot of goals. But, man, I, we got to lead off with Man United, right, Esteban? Oh, absolutely. We definitely need to lead off with Man United. Unreal. I cannot believe they lost Brighton. 3-2 at the Amex. Goals from Pascal Gross, Glenn Murray, um, and the second goal was scored by Shane Duffy. I mean, what happened, man? What happened? I think this is just the end, man. It's just, I don't understand how a team this talented with this much amount of money can make such stupid mistakes at the back. I, I just, it's, it's shocking to me how poor United just have been in the last two weeks. I mean, I think Mourinho has just completely lost it. And I think we saw it in the press conference that he just realizes that he, he doesn't know what he can do with his squad. He's run out of ideas. Uh, he even stopped blaming his players because he just knows that his tactics aren't working. Teams understand how to beat United. They know how to play United. It's just, this is shocking. It's shocking the, the amount of just unbelievable errors this United team has done. It feels more like I'm watching an Arsene Wenger team than a Jose Mourinho team. Yeah, I was going to say, I th- I mean, after seeing that United loss, I think that Arsenal fans should be more happy than United fans after two weeks. Even though you guys don't have a point, at least Arsenal put up an effort against Chelsea, were close to getting a draw, and their attack actually was trying. I mean, Arsenal could have had six goals in the first half against Chelsea, United, even down 3-1, coming out of the tunnel, they put Rashford in, they put Lingard in, then you put Fellaini in in the 60th minute to lump the ball forward, and they still only have three or four people going forward, and they still have six guys defending when Brighton is basically barking the bus up 3-1. I mean, it's insane. It's, it's shocking. I, I honestly like it was one of the most surreal Premier League games I've ever seen. I've never seen a Manchester United team, not, at least not since David Moyes was in charge, where they seemed so inept that they seemed so outfoxed. I mean, this is Manchester United wasn't playing Liverpool. They were playing City. They weren't even playing like Burnley. They were playing Brighton. Brighton was OK last year. They were the definition of mediocre. How could this have happened? I don't understand. This is shocking to me. It's, I think it's the tactics, the third season syndrome. If you want to read about Mourinho's third season history, check out a piece that Uzair Madhani wrote on the topflight.com. Nice 2,000-word post gives you a nice big history of what Mourinho has done at all his previous clubs. And I was editing through it and reading it. And, man, the only club that he left on good terms with was Inter Milan. And he generally, genuinely was sad that he was leaving Inter Milan with the Chelsea stints, with Real Madrid, and now with United. He's just getting grumpier and grumpier, and there's more problems in the dressing room. But in terms of the play, the tactics are not working. He is not utilizing how talented his players are. You have Paul Pogba and Romelu Lukaku, two of the best players in the World Cup, who their international managers get to play so well on a weekly basis. Sure, Lukaku scored, but he was open in the box off of, you know, some deflections and it was a corner. No problem. Pogba is is not happy. I think he's pretend this whole Mourinho-Pogba relationship thing in the press conferences, I think he's like, they're they're faking it. I, I don't think they like each other. But it doesn't it doesn't help when, one, United didn't really sign any world-class player. And their best signing, which everyone thought was going to be super effective in Fred, has been horrible in the first two games. 
I just like it's crazy to me because so you mentioned that Arsenal fans are probably a lot happier than United fans. And I agree with you. And I agree with you for a simple reason, even though Man United didn't make a lot of signings this summer, even though Fred was supposed to be their, you know, center defensive midfielder that could create from the back and allow Pogba to play higher up the pitch, theoretically, and he's basically failed at that. Um, United has so much talent. They are probably the second most talented team in the Premier League. Just, you know, pound for pound. Their attacking talent is amazing. Anthony Martial doesn't even get to play, and he's he's one of the best players in the world. I mean, you have Marcus Rashford, who's one of the top English prospects in the world. You mentioned Lukaku. He was unbelievable in the World Cup. You want to know how to use Lukaku? Just watch how Roberto Martinez used him in Belgium. And you know what? You can't argue that they don't have the talent around Lukaku like they do in Belgium. Of course they do. Paul Pogba was one of the best players in the world and he is one of the best players in the world one of the best midfielders and sure maybe they don't have Eden Hazard but they have Alexi Sanchez they have so much amazing talent and it's amazing to me that even with players like Eric Bailly who even though he had a horrible game and he was at fault for both of two of Brighton's goals he's still one of the best defenders from Africa he's an incredible player and he was really good for them at times last season and Lindelof had an excellent World Cup for Sweden he was one of their rocks at the back he was one of the reasons why Sweden was such a tough out in the World Cup I don't understand how Mourinho can't utilize these two center backs in the proper fashion I don't understand how he can't teach them I don't understand how he can't motivate them it's just shocking to me that as an Arsenal fan I'm looking at this squad and I'm thinking oh my god if just if we could have just a little bit of that amazing amount of talent on our team if we could have Bailly instead of Mustafi I'm pretty sure Arsenal could be in a top four contention and United they're just pissing away their all their incredible talent it's just shocking to me I let me ask you how long do you think Mourinho has left if this continues to happen well we've seen United have tough times with Mourinho we've seen them take bad losses this is the second time in a row that they've lost to Brighton remember they lost to Brighton in the beginning of May the second to last game of the season so that's just, you know, shocking. Every Manchester United record that Alex Ferguson had against every team, every home record is now broken. The Fergie era is way over and United is just in a rut right now. I think they'll bounce back. I think they'll have a good performance against Tottenham. If they don't, that might be the last straw. Ed Woodward did not look happy after the result in Brighton. I think Mourinho has probably a month or two to figure it out and get United into the top six. I think he, if, if United's in the top four by October, I think Mourinho is good in, at least until Christmas. But if United's outside the top six by October or late September, they, they, he might be gone. He might get fired in the middle of the season. And then United will have to look for a new manager. And there's a couple people out there who are available. Of course, Zinedine Zidane said he's interested. I think that would be really cool to see. But my goodness, I cannot believe what's going on in Manchester United. Meanwhile... Their rivals are amazing. Manchester City is unparalleled. Might be the best team in Europe. Uh, yeah, at least right now, they're definitely the best team in Europe. I mean, every season since Pep Guardiola has come to Manchester, City goes off into one of the most amazing starts of every year. I mean, this first season, even though it technically ended without any trophies and it was, a, a I guess, a failure... Uh, they still were unbelievable to start the season. Last year, they took their amazing start and basically conquered the league by by October. It was crazy how impressive they were. Um, this season, I think they're probably going to do the same, except that Liverpool is probably pretty close, is much closer to them than they were last season. Uh, we're going to have to wait for that game to really see how much, what are the title credentials for Liverpool. But 
My goodness. I, I, to be fair, City was playing Huddersfield, and Huddersfield is definitely going to get relegated this year. They're one of the worst teams in the Premier League, and they just clearly are just a level below most of the teams in England. But my God, uh, Sergio Aguero, I just, I, I don't understand how he can still keep scoring goals at this rate, at his age. It's just, he's so impressive. It, I, I, I was in awe by, by just his movement and his just tactical ability to understand where to be. And his finishing was incredible. I mean, he, he made up for his misses that he had against Arsenal. He's just, Aguero is incredible. And he's been doing this consistently for the past almost seven years now. I just, it, it, it's crazy. This team... Do you really honestly think that Liverpool has a chance to catch up to Manchester City? Because I, I mean, I want to believe that, but after these past two weeks, I just, I just can't see it. Well, I think they could. I think City's performances are going to look like, oh yeah, they're going to run away with the league again. Because guess what? Their next five games are against the newly promoted teams from last year and the newly promoted teams from this year. They're playing Wolves next week on the road, probably going to win. And we could see Manchester City, before they even play Liverpool in early October, probably be have a perfect record. That's what we are going to assume from them. And even without Kevin De Bruyne, they look tremendous. David Silva had, I would say, probably one of the best days of his life, bringing his son, who was born prematurely, to the stadium. Um, and he scores that free kick in his 250th league appearance. Amazing day for David Silva and his entire family. Aguero hat trick. Benjamin Mendy, though, takes City, gives them that leap makes them a Champions League title contender, makes them an over 100-point contender in the Premier League, I think. He just adds that extra level to this club. And it was a really good weekend for Manchester City also because All or Nothing, the Amazon series, came out. Are you going to watch it, or do you not have Amazon Video? I have Amazon Video, but I am absolutely not going to watch it whatsoever. I cannot cannot take any more Manchester City... Just uh, this kind of, I you know, I know they're a great team, and it's good to see how the teams go behind the scenes. I don't want to see it. I'm sick of it. I'm sick of Manchester City's greatness. I know it's beautiful to watch. I know it's, you know, it's very impressive. But frankly, here's the thing. And you don't have to agree with me. No one has to agree with me. It's fine. And I'm not talking about it because I'm an, I'm an angry Arsenal fan. I'm just saying that Manchester City is so clinically cold and so clinical and so powerful as, an, as a team. It's not boring. It's just... I, I want to see more excitement. And I, with, with City, it's not exciting to see a team that's just so much better than everybody else. It's, it's, it's a little similar to how the Warriors are so good in the NBA that it's like, oh, okay, well, they're going to win the title again. All right, that makes sense. It's good to see greatness. I understand that. And we, you know, we'll be, we're very lucky to see such an incredible team. We'll obviously see more higher-level competition when they're playing the Real Madrids, the Barcelonas, and the Bayern Munichs in the Champions League. And we'll see how, how truly great this team can be. But in the Premier League, you know, it's not as much fun to watch Man City just 6-1 six, Huddersfield than it is to watch them get in a close match like a 3-2 against Liverpool or a 3-2 against Man United. You know, it's just I don't want to see I don't want to see an Amazon series. that's just about how amazing this team is because I'm I'm already tired of them seeing how great they are. OK, I mean, I get your point that. I, you don't want to see City be super dominant. I don't want the Premier League to turn into the Bundesliga or, you know, Liga where one team is going to, you know, they're going to win the league inevitably and it's going to happen really early in the season. I don't want that to happen. And with Pep Guardiola teams, that tends to happen when he managed Barca, when he managed Bayern, those teams dominated their leagues. He's only never won a, a league title, I think, twice in his career as a manager. But 
I would give the show a watch just because, I mean, I already finished it. It's eight episodes. Each episode's between 45, like 55 minutes. I watched it. It was it was really interesting. The All or Nothing series in general is interesting. It's mostly about uh, NFL teams. They did one on Michigan's college football team. They have one on the New Zealand All Blacks. But this one was really cool to see because you see the kind of injuries these guys go through. And Man City had a lot of injuries last year. The physios, you get an in-depth look of just how the club works in general. Um, but one thing that I did learn, don't piss off Fabian. Fabian Delph. Fabian Delph is an intense man. He's he smashes stuff, yelling at, at things. I mean, you should see the way he reacted to when Man City, I think, lost to Liverpool in their first leg of the Champions League. That whole week, that is probably the most interesting episode to see of that series. How they reacted to those three straight losses, losing to Liverpool in the Champions League and then losing to Man United when they could have won the title. So I really enjoyed it, and Man City, I'm sure, is really enjoying life. But what I really enjoyed the most this weekend was the London Derby between Chelsea and Arsenal. Game of the week. Yeah, that's for sure. It was definitely the game of the week and one of the most entertaining, you know, London derbies we've seen between these two clubs in a couple of years. Obviously, Chelsea and Arsenal have a great history of having high scoring, great entertaining games. I'm glad that that's continued under uh, the new management over in both clubs. Um, disappointing result as an Arsenal fan, but also slightly encouraging as an Arsenal fan because... So let's look at it. I want to look at it from both sides. So I'll start with Chelsea. So, you know, this is not just Arsenal love. But Chelsea, they are very, they're very good. Uh, I think Sarri is going to be a very good manager for this team. I know there were some defensive issues at the back. Uh, but I think that can be ironed out as soon as you get rid of David Luiz. And if you get rid of uh, maybe add a different center back there. Uh I think Marcos Alonso is a great player in the attack, and he might even be a better winger than he is a left back. But, you know, that, that's here or there. But I think Jorginho was really good. Um, I think he can really dictate the play. He kind of, what's interesting about this Jorginho Conte midfield is that it's not really a pivot and they're asking Conte to move forward. But what I noticed in that Arsenal game is while Jorginho is really, he's he's good defensively and he's also dictating the tempo of the game, um, Conte's, he's not so good as an offensive player. Yes, he could, he creates a couple chances a game, but that's not really his skill set. And what's interesting is that in that game, you could see that Conte was not having as much of an influence defensively as he generally does. I mean, he was probably the most important midfielder of the World Cup, and he was definitely the most important midfielder of the 2016 and the 2017 champions of Leicester City and Chelsea. I think it's going to be very interesting how uh, Sarri decides to balance the Jorginho-Conte midfield, because I do think that if you're asking Conte to play offensively, I think you're just taking away from Conte's real ability to just be one of the the, the most important midfield destroyer in the world. Um, but we'll have to see how that goes. I still think Chelsea is going to be very good. I think Sarri is a very inter- interesting manager. And I think Chelsea showed a lot of good fight to you know win the game after losing that 2-0 lead. Um, and I think they're going to be fine. I think Morata is going to be much better this season as well. For Arsenal, obviously the... Defensive issues are still there. That's not going to change. Uh, Socrates is okay. He's a decent addition. I don't think he was. I, th- I don't think he performed poorly. Um, I think Mustafi performed poorly. I think Granit Xhaka performed poorly. Um, Lucas Torreira did not have a good uh, kind of game after he came on uh, at halftime. Um, the mistake by Lacazette uh, in the 80th minute to give up the goal was really stupid, and it's just it's really annoying that Arsenal keeps trying to play this kind of possession style that clearly doesn't really work for them it's not what their best players are best suited for um this is and they're not really playing a Wenger ball style possession so it doesn't really work uh I think Peter Cech has lost it I know he had some great saves but clearly those three goals that he gave up 
a, a younger Peter Cech would have been able to save those. And maybe Bern Leno could have saved them as well. Maybe he couldn't. Who knows? But I think it's I think Peter Cech's time is done. Uh, but the encouraging signs for Arsenal are Matteo Guendouzi is a real player. He had um, some amazing tackles. He has 17 tackles in the first two weeks, uh, which is the most tackles in the Premier League this season, which is pretty impressive. He's had He had some great balls to Bellerin. He was generally very good at dictating the play from the back. Um, I thought he was very good. I thought Aubameyang, if he would have just finished his chances, we could have, you know, the Arsenal could have beaten Chelsea 4-2 in the first half, which would have been, you know, better. Uh, Mkhitaryan had a good game. Um, Iwobi was very effective, which was surprising. You know, Iwobi has developed his reputation of just not playing well when it comes to the big game, uh, but that was good. It's just, you know, it, it, this is not going to, this is a long-term build, you know, a long-term rebuild. The, the, the purchases, the final real purchases of Ar- Arsene Wenger's reign, you know, Granit Xhaka, Shokhtan Mustafi, this team is not going to improve unless those players are removed. It's just those players are too, they're, they're too many mistakes, too much, uh, they're too dependent on to do well for this team so they can do well. I just, it, it's going to take time. But honestly, as an Arsenal fan, even though Arsenal lost, it took a lot of fight to come back from 2-0 down. It took a lot of, you know, a lot of cojones from uh, Emery to, you know, remove uh, Xhaka and to remove Ozil when they were having poor matches. And I think I think Arsenal's on the right track. I think they're going to get a, a pretty good win this weekend. And um, I think the, the signs are positive. It's just there was a lot. There's a lot of work to be done. It's just odd that we're talking about Arsenal in such a mostly high regard. This is the first time they've lost two games to start a season since 92-93. But there's hope. I think Man United losing to Brighton give makes it seem like they have more hope. And I think they do have hope. I like the way Iwobi played. I like the way Mkhitaryan played. I don't like the way Aubameyang played because he's on my fantasy team and he should have finished some chances and I would have beaten my dad this weekend. But... That didn't happen. Firmino didn't score either for Liverpool in their win. But yeah, <laughs> great game. Game of the week. Really, really entertaining first half. Chance after chance. I thought Czech made some amazing saves in the second half. Chelsea is a different team with Eden Hazard on the pitch, though. Eden Hazard needs to... Once he starts starting games, then Chelsea could really get people start thinking, are they a title contender? Because Eden Hazard is the best player in the league by far. He adds such a quality to the attack when he's on the field for Chelsea, he was the difference maker in that second half. And I think that he's the reason why Chelsea won the game in the second half. The Lacazette mistake was was poor, very bad. Arsenal strikers have some work to do. But Azar definitely makes that team tick. And it looks like he might be staying for the whole season, or at least until January. We'll have to see what happens with Real Madrid. They did win this weekend, an opening weekend win in La Liga. Uh, the other two big six that played, Liverpool 2-0 win over Crystal Palace. Uh, Roy Hodgson had a good game plan, stayed defensive for most of the time. Juan Bissaka was playing really well against Mane until he got sent off. Salah getting two assists. Whenever Milner scores, you never lose. He literally, every game he's played in, I think it's like 48 games that he scored in in the Premier League, his teams have never lost. <laughs> wow, that's a pretty good sad. That, that's incredible. I mean, that's nuts. Mane getting his third goal, joining in the Golden Boot race. Uh, and then Tottenham looked really good against Fulham. Fulham had a bad start to the game, and then they kind of started developing some chemistry in the second half. Mitrovic scoring a really bizarre goal. But the World Cup stars are back here in Trippier and Harry Kane. Trippier, beautiful free kick, a la semifinal of the World Cup. And Harry Kane broke his August curse. It's done. It's over. I told you it was going to happen. I called it. I knew that Ty- well, Harry Kane was going to score that against Fulham. Well, but who said that Man City could score six goals? That's true. Did. You, did do, you did do that. Yeah. I agree. Yeah, that's so totally we're true. both right. <laughs> 
Oh man, but uh, Harry Kane getting his breaking his August curse is really both annoying and also just like he's really one of the best strikers in the world. And I think his finish was pretty pretty spectacular. It was very simple, but it's just it takes a lot of skill. And he had a lot of you got a, he had a couple guys draped all over him. And I, I just think that Harry Kane, there's it's hard for me as an Arsenal fan to really just like respect him, but. He is really one of the best strikers in the world. And I wouldn't be shocked if Real Madrid starts calling before the transfer window comes up. I know there was a report the other day that there's some financial troubles uh, with Tottenham and that they might be forced to sell some players because of the trouble with their stadium. Christian Eriksen and Harry Kane have been linked to a move to Real Madrid, which I think, first off, if that happens, Tottenham is now going to be a mid-table club, and then Real Madrid might win the Champions League for the fourth straight year. Um, but it's, you know, I think Tottenham was really good. I thought Liverpool was solid. They had a very professional victory. Uh, you, you, that's the thing that Liverpool has often had a problem with in the last couple of years is just playing the teams that are game plan to defend deep, not give up you know, a lot of counterattacking opportunities for Liverpool and not give up the ball in the middle of the park. So it's, it's good to see Liverpool that they know how to finally win these kind of tougher games on the road, especially Crystal Palace, because Crystal Palace has always been a bogey team for Liverpool. So I think, I think that's a good sign for the season overall. It didn't really seem that Liverpool were troubled. It seemed that Liverpool was going to get the goal no matter what. Uh, but it also showed that I think Crystal Palace, I think you rated them too lowly because I think they're going to have a pretty good season, especially considering the starts from all the other promoted teams. I'll admit I am ra- I did rate them really lowly. I mean, they have some players that are quality on their side. And one Bisaka showing up in the first two games, I thought he played really well before the red card. Zaha's quality. Benteke needs to step up, though. I was watching the post game on NBC, and Robbie Earl was all over Christian Benteke. He needs to do more. He needs to score. They 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 spend thirty million plus for him to score goals, and he's just not delivering for Crystal Palace. So of the big six, four of them are perfect after two games: Tottenham, Chelsea, Man City, and Liverpool. Arsenal with zero and United with three. The other results of the weekend, the two other perfect teams, Bournemouth and Watford. Bournemouth come back against West Ham. Uh, West Ham was at home. Bournemouth winning 2-1. Great goal by Callum Wilson. Steve Cook got the winner. And then Watford, really impressive performance against Burnley on the road. 3-1 win. Their midfield is fantastic. Will Hughes had a great performance. He scored. And also, I think the Europa League Thursdays are starting to catch up with Burnley. They have two more at least because they're playing Olympiacos on Thursday in Greece. But between Watford and Bournemouth, now we're sort of narrowing it down a little bit on the perfect teams. Which one has the better chance of winning next week? Because you got Watford hosting Palace. Bournemouth is hosting Everton. Um, I definitely think Watford has a better chance of staying perfect. I think their midfield is... We definitely underrated their midfield. Uh, Clearly, they are very talented. I think they're getting coached very well, which is surprising. I thought genuinely that Watford was going to have a bad start to the season. But again, they've had another good start. We'll see how long it lasts because every season Watford gets the 40-plus points by the middle of the season, and then they just take a nosedive. Um, we'll see how long it lasts, but I think Watford has, has played very well. They've been one of the more impressive teams in the Premier League this year. I think Bournemouth, again, they are, they've been very good. I thought I think, I thought their victory against Cardiff was very impressive, especially, especially considering when Newcastle was not really able to break down Cardiff uh, this past week. I think Bournemouth also was able to take advantage of West Ham's defensive uh, deficiencies, which is good for Bournemouth. They're very good in the attack. Um, but I think I think we have to look at it from the quality of opposition. I think Everton has been really good to start the season. I think Richarlison is 
really, really special. Uh, he's he just keeps scoring goals, keeps creating chances. I think he's going to have an excellent season. At least I hope so, just because he's so entertaining. I think Everton is going to be able to break down the Bournemouth uh, defense. I th- and I think Everton's probably going to break Bournemouth's streak. Maybe maybe it's a draw, but uh, you know we'll get to the predictions later in the week. But I, I think Watford has a better chance of remaining perfect because I think it's a very impressive start. It, it's, it's, it's amazing what a great midfield can do for any team in the Premier League. Yeah, Watford's midfield has been very impressive. Two good games, beating Burnley, beating Brighton. We'll see if Burnley can bounce back. We'll have to see what happens if they actually do make the Europa League group stage because right now all their games are happening on a Sunday. The other results from the weekend, the three games we haven't talked about, Leicester beating Wolves 2-0, James Madison playing well again. He scored a, a nice goal, but Jamie Vardy did get sent off, so no Jamie Vardy for Leicester next weekend against Southampton. Everton did beat Southampton, Richarlison with three goals, so him, Aguero, and Mane tied for the golden boot. And then the first game of the weekend, Cardiff and Newcastle, nil-nil. Newcastle had a chance to win with a last-minute penalty, but Neil Etheridge, second penalty save of the season in two games. First time that's happened since 1992 for a keeper to save two penalties in their first two career games in the Premier League. So Cardiff get a point, but they are the only team in the league that hasn't scored a goal. And then Newcastle, Kennedy had... A shocking performance besides not scoring the penalty and missing a lot of passes and duels and chances he had that swipe in the first half he literally just kicked a guy in the leg he could get suspended for three matches if they look at that again he was lucky not to get sent off yeah newcastle was definitely one of the more disappointing performances however i did kind of expect a very tight game because i rafa benitez is just not a very uh, he's a conservative manager at heart, and it was clear that Cardiff City was not going to try to push the envelope against Newcastle. Uh, that amazing red card uh, by f- I just by former Arsenal player Isaac Hayden, uh, who was playing as an auxiliary right back. Uh, he came on after halftime, and he only played for about thirty minutes and got sent off. That was pretty Newcastle like. It just I always feel that Newcastle gets these crazy red cards in the most inopportune moments of the game when they can win it. Um, I think Newcastle is still fine. They're going to be okay. It's tough to break down Cardiff City. Bournemouth was good at it, but they were playing at home. Um, Neil Etheridge, I think, is going to be... I, he might be a revelation this season because two penalty saves. Like, If you can get a goalkeeper that can uh, save penalties consistently, that's that's pretty good. I mean, there's a lot of penalties in the Premier League every season, and I think maybe a bigger side... Uh, a Watford or even, uh, I don't know, they're, they're, any team that's not going to get relegated this year might look at him as like, oh, you know, maybe we should just keep him. Uh, the Filipino-born uh, goalkeeper. So that, that's going to be pretty interesting to see. But I think I think Newcastle is going to be fine. I think Everton had a pretty impressive performance. Of course, that Danny Ings goal uh, from Southampton was pretty shambolic. I think they're going to need to work a little bit on their set pieces. But in general, I think Everton has been one of the better teams in the Premier League this year, uh, and at least in the first two games. They showed a lot of fight to come back from that red card in the opening game against Wolves. And I think uh, in that Southampton game, they took care of business when they needed to. They got their goals, and they were able to kind of shut the door against Southampton. Um, I don't know. I want to ask you about, let's talk a little bit before we have to go about uh, Wolves. Now, Wolves is an interesting story. They only have a point. We thought they were going to be really good. Um... The performances have been interesting. The first game, you could probably say that they were kind of lucky to get a 2-2 draw. They were, you know, they they had a pretty poor performance in general, except for Ruben Neves, who was pretty good. He's been pretty good in the last in, in both games that they've played. Um, this week, they lost, of course, to Leicester City, but it seemed for long stretches of the match, the Wolves were just outplaying Leicester City. But Leicester City had that kind of 
defensive solidity that you find in the Premier League and that counterattacking ability that you only really see in the Premier League, that just that ruthlessness. Um, James Madison was particularly special in that regard. Um, are you worried at all about Wolves or do you think that this is just, you know, teething pains uh, from coming into the Premier League? I think that Wolves are in the position where they will stay alive or do really well, maybe get a top 10 finish by getting wins against lower teams. You know, they played Everton against 10 men, got a draw. Everton's a quality team. Leicester is a top 10 caliber team, in my opinion, losing to them. And then they had 10 men, but they weren't able to score. So I think Wolves will have trouble against the really good teams. But I think they're going to be able to get points once they start playing, you know, the likes of Cardiff and maybe Southampton. I think they could get some wins against Huddersfield. I think they'll get six points maybe in those two games they play against those teams. I think Wolves are fine. No trouble for them. But let's uh, let's end the podcast. Still got a little bit of time. We're going to do the best of the weekend. Game is Chelsea-Arsenal. We can agree on that, right? Absolutely. Okay, so that's easy. Uh, let's do best player. I think Aguero's the obvious answer, right? Uh, yeah, let's just give it to Aguero. I was going to give a little bit to Eden Hazard because I thought he'd really changed the game when he came in. Also, Jorginho. Uh, but yeah, Aguero was really, really special. Okay, so Hazard, Jorginho, I'll give myself, I'll give an honorable mention to, um, I'll, I'll say Neil Leatheridge. I'll give it to Neil Leatheridge, my, my second place, you know, to save a penalty in the last minute and you're only your second Premier League game. That's clutch. Get your team their first point in four years in the league. So clutch, clutch from Neil Etheridge. Uh, best goal. We had a couple nice free kicks, but there wasn't really any open play screamers this weekend. No, uh, I would say the David Silva free kick was probably the most beautiful free kick uh, of the last kind of six months in the Premier League. It was so perfect. Uh, the goalkeeper couldn't even move. That's how amazing it was. It's just just the it's the textbook example of what a Premier League free kick should look like. I think David Silva has always been a slightly underrated player, even though he's always rated highly. I think he's even better than what most people rate him as. Um, he got to celebrate retiring from the Spanish national team with an excellent performance for Man City. So I think I would, I, if I had to pick one, I'm picking the David Silva goal. I would pick that as my best moment. I thought that was the best moment of the weekend. I think the Trippier free kick is just a little bit better just because... Silva's free kick, they're already up 3-1. Huddersfield was was down and out at that point, so the free kick didn't have as much significance. Kieran Trippier's did. It was a 1-1 game. Tottenham was having bad luck. Kane was hitting the bar, hitting the post. They weren't able to get that second goal. Trippier steps up in his first start of the season after an incredible World Cup and just comes up with that goal at Wembley. And that was a, a, a pinpoint free kick that I think had a lot more significance. So that's why I give him the best goal. What's your best moment? Also, Silva? No, his no, day? no, no. My best moment is when Alex Iwobi scores the equalizer right before halftime. And after the Chelsea fans were screaming, are you Arsene Wenger in disguise to Unai Emery's team? The Arsenal fan, the Arsenal faithful, they started screaming and, and singing, Unai Emery in red and white. We believe in you. We believe in you. It was, it was beautiful. It was a moment. It's like, okay, we have hope again. Arsenal can potentially come back. This is going to be a rebuilding year, but now we, we, there's at least confidence that this manager at least knows what he wants to do and it is, can at least try to find a way to do it. I thought it was an excellent moment and really gave a lot of hope for uh, this team. 
Yeah, even with two losses. But the two losses are against City and Chelsea, to be fair. So they played some really tough opposition. And then uh, how's your fake fantasy team doing? I'm assuming you had Aguero as your captain, right? Absolutely. 40- I had Aguero, I had Marcos Alonso, uh, you know, I just had, I had Neil Etheridge again. He's, he's been like my best goalkeeper. Uh, yeah, because <laughs> you clearly picked all those, you either picked all those players to start or you used your wild card pretty much. Oh, man. Do you know what the wild card is? No, please tell me. So, so basically twice a season, you can only use it once in the first half, once in the second half, you get free unlimited transfers. Because if you make more than one transfer a week, you lose points. You get deducted four points. So I'm in a position where I actually am going to use my wild card because I have Kevin De Bruyne, who's out for three months, Victor Moses, who's not playing, and Antonio Valencia, who's also been injured and also not playing. And my bench isn't playing either. So when you basically have like three or four players injured or just not playing, you use your wild card so you don't lose any points. I love so, it. You fake fantasy team, use your wild card, pick up Aguero, you pick up Mane. Yeah, I mean, if anyone who had Aguero as their captain, they got 40 points. If you had him as your triple captain, he got 60 points. So that's what happens when you have three goals and an assist. But the most surprising fantasy performance, Salah gets two assists because he was the one that got tackled in the box and passed to Mane yes, on the a controversial penalty breakaway. <laughs> yeah, the controversial that, no. With, no with with bunny ears. I don't I don't mean that with quotation marks. That was right. clearly a penalty. I don't understand. That's a penalty. I mean, he do, I think his dive was a little delayed reaction and he fell to get the, to get the penalty. But the way I'm going to look at calls now, what would VAR do? VAR gives that as a penalty. Oh, 100%. There's contact. It's a penalty. Absolutely. Yeah. So I, th- I think that's a, that's a good way to end it. Uh, match day two is in the books. We got another weekend of games coming up. Uh, I guess a quick little run through of what happened elsewhere in Europe. Uh, PSG won. Kylian Mbappe scored twice. Barcelona won. Messi scored. Ronaldo had a goalless debut against Kiev Verona, but Juventus had a dramatic 3-2 win, scoring uh, a goal in the 93rd minute. It was a it was a nuts game, pretty insane. Uh, Bayern Munich only won one nothing in the German uh, Cup first round. MLS had some interesting action. The Sounders won five nothing against the Galaxy, and Joseph Martinez scored his 27th goal to tie the MLS record. So. Soccer is is booming. A lot going on. A lot of games over the weekend. We're going to have that again. Also throughout the week, there's going to be the first legs of the Champions League and Europa League's final qualifying round. And we'll be back Thursday or Friday for our predictions for match day three, taking a look at the weekend in general. So uh, for Esteban, I'm Ori. Thanks for listening. And make sure to tune in for another edition of Top Flight Podcast next time.